Chapter 15 of On the Trail of the Space Pirates. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Norman Elfer. On the Trail of the Space Pirates by Carrie Rockwell. Chapter 15. What's our position, Roger? Captain Strong called into the intercom. Space Quadrant B, Section 23, sir replied Roger from the radar bridge. But I can't see a thing on radar. That static flash Tom sent out is scrambling everything. But you're sure this is our position? Yes, sir. I checked it three times. All right, then, said Strong grimly. There's only one thing to do. We're too near the asteroid belt to use the Polaris without radar, so we'll search in jet boats. Astro, we're parking right here. Give me full braking rockets and secure the power deck. Then prepare the jet boats for flight. "'Aye, aye, sir,' came the reply from the Venusian. The ship bucked under the tremendous power of the braking rockets and came to a dead stop in space. Strong dashed up the ladder to the radar bridge, where Roger was still hunched before the radar scanner. "'Any chance of switching the scanner to another frequency and offsetting the effects of the static, Roger?' asked the Solar Guard captain. Roger shook his head. "'I don't think so, sir. The interference would have been eliminated at its source.' Well, sighed Strong, to go looking for Tom without the help of radar would be like looking for an air bubble in the ammonia clouds of Jupiter, and we don't even know if he's still aboard the Avenger or not. You know, sir, said Roger, speculatively, I've been thinking I might be able to get a fix on this interference. A fix? How? By blanking out the radar range so that it would only work at one point of the compass at a time, then testing each heading separately until the flash appears. When it does, would at least know in which direction to blast off and trail Coxine. If you can do that, Roger, exclaimed Strong, it would take us right into Coxine's lap. Do you think you can work it? I can try, sir. All right, then, decided Strong. Astro and I will take the jet boats and go looking around. Meantime, you stay aboard and try to pinpoint the heading of that flash. Very well, sir, replied Roger and turned to the radar to begin the complicated task of rewiring the instrument. Strong went directly to the jet boat deck, where Astro was busily preparing the jet boats for flight. He looked up when Strong entered the hatch. All ready, sir, he said. Very well, said Strong. I'll take number one, you take number two. We're in section 23 of quadrant B. You take section 22, and I'll take 24. Yes, sir, replied Astro. Do you think there's any chance of finding Tom? I don't even know if he's out there, Astro, but we can't be sure he isn't, so we'll search and hope for the best. Very well, sir. Keep your jet boat audio receiver open at all time and maintain contact with me. Why not contact Roger here on the Polaris, sir? Asked Astro. He's busy trying to figure out where the flashing static on the radar is coming from, explained Strong. We'll make wide circles, starting outside and working in. Blast in a continuous circle inward, like a spiral. If there's anything around here, we'll find it that way. Yes, sir, said Astro. I sure hope Tom is okay. Best answer I can give you, Astro, is to blast off and find out. The two spacemen climbed into the small craft while Strong opened the outer lock, exposing them to the emptiness of space. Astro started the jets in his boat. With a wave of his hand to Strong, he roared away from the sleek rocket cruiser. Strong followed right on his tail. 
They circled the Polaris twice, establishing their positions, and then roared away from each other to begin their search. Astro turned his midget space vessel toward the asteroid belt, ahead and below him. Choosing a large asteroid that he estimated to be on the outer side of Section 22, he roared full power toward it. The tiny space bodies that made up the dangerous path around the sun, between Mars and Jupiter, loomed ahead ominously. Moving toward them under full rocket thrust, the Venusian cadet remembered fleetingly stories of survivors of space wrecks, reaching the airless little planetoids, only to die when help failed to arrive. He shuddered at the thought of Tom, a helpless castaway on one of the asteroids, waiting to be saved. Astro clenched his teeth and concentrated on the search, determined to investigate every stone large enough to support an Earthman. Miles away, no longer visible to Astro, and out of sight of the giant rocket cruiser, Captain Strong felt the same helplessness as he approached the asteroid belt from a different angle. He realized any number of things could have happened on the pirate ship. Tom could have been captured, or, if not yet discovered, unable to escape from the ship. Strong's throat choked up with fierce pride over the gallant effort Tom had made to warn the Solar Guard of the Avengers' position. As he neared the outer edges of the belt, he concentrated on guiding his small ship in and around the drifting asteroids, his eyes constantly sweeping the area around him for some sign of a drifting space-suited figure. What Strong really hoped for was the sight of a jet boat, since in a jet boat, Tom would have a better chance of survival. The young captain reached the outer edge of his search perimeter, turned the small ship in a long sweeping curve, and flipped on the audio receiver. Attention, attention! Jet boat one to jet boat two. Come in, Astro. Across the wide abyss of space that separated the two men, Astro heard his skipper's voice crackle in his headphones. Astro here, sir, he replied. I'm beginning my sweep, Astro. Any luck? Not a thing, sir. All right, let's go and keep a sharp eye out. Aye, aye, sir, replied Astro. He could not keep the worry out of his voice, and Strong, many miles away, nodded in silent agreement with Astro's feelings. The Avenger had long since disappeared, and Tom was left alone in space in the tiny jet boat. To conserve his oxygen supply, the curly-haired cadet had set the controls of the boat in a steady orbit around one of the larger asteroids and lay down quietly on the deck. One of the first lessons he had learned at Space Academy was, during an emergency in space when oxygen was low, to lie down and breathe as slowly as possible, and, if possible, to go to sleep. Sleep under such conditions served two purposes. While relaxed in sleep, the body used less oxygen, and, should help fail to arrive, the victim would slip into a suffocating unconsciousness, not knowing if and when death took the place of life. Tom lay on the deck of the small vessel and stared at the distant stars through the clear crystal roof of his jet boat. He breathed as lightly as he could, taking short, slight breaths, holding them as long as he could, and then exhaling only when his lungs felt as if they would burst. He could see Regulus overhead and Cirrus, the two great stars, shining brightly in the absolute blackness of space. He raised himself slowly on one elbow and looked at the oxygen indicator. He saw the needle had dropped past the empty mark. He knew it wouldn't be long now, and he knew what he had to do. He took a last long look at the two giant stars and then closed his eyes. 
Tom no longer tried to control his breathing, but took deep, satisfying lungfuls of oxygen, and in a few minutes slipped into a sound sleep. The jet boat roared on, carrying its sleeping occupant in an endless spiral around the nameless asteroid. Not too many miles away, alone on the radar bridge of the giant rocket cruiser, Roger Manning, sweat popping out on his forehead, was trying the radar scanner on the 310th point on the compass. He connected the wires, glanced at the scanner, and shook his head disgustedly. The scanner screen was still dark. Having adjusted the delicate mechanism to eliminate the white flashes of static, he couldn't find them again. He sat back in his chair for a moment, mopping his brow and watching the white hairline on its continuous swing around the face of the scope. As the line swept to the top of the screen, he saw the blip outline of a jet boat and recognized it as one belonging to the Polaris. Then, slowly, the line swept down, and Roger suddenly saw the blip outline of a second craft. With the experienced eye of a radar veteran, Roger was able to not only distinguish the jet boats from the asteroids, but from each other. He gripped the edge of the instrument and shouted at the top of his voice, The second boat was a different model. He reached for the audio receiver and switched it on. Attention! Attention! Captain Strong! Astro! Come in! This is Manning, aboard the Polaris. Come in! Strong here! Astro here! Strong and Astro replied almost together. I've spotted a jet boat! Roger shouted. You think it might be... Where? bawled Astro before Roger could finish. Where is it, you rockethead? As close as I can figure it, he's circling an asteroid, a big one, at the intersection of Section 21 and Section 22. 21 and 22, got it, yelled Astro. I'll meet you there, Astro, said Strong. Astro and Strong turned their small ships in the direction of the intersecting space sections. Astro was the first to spot the asteroid, but for a moment he couldn't see the jet boat on the opposite side of the small celestial body. Meanwhile, Strong, coming from the other direction, saw the boat and relayed the position to Astro. In a few moments, the two spacecraft had regulated their speeds to that of Tom's ship and were hastily donning spacesuits. A quick look inside had shown them Tom's sleeping body. As Astro started to open the crystal hatch of his spaceship to cross over to the other, Strong yelled over the audio receiver. Astro, wait! Astro looked across at the captain's ship questioningly. Tom isn't in a spacesuit. If we open the hatch, it would kill him. We've got to tow him back to the Polaris and get his boat inside the airlock before we can open the hatch. Without a word, Astro nodded, ducked inside his ship, and climbed out again with a length of rope. Working quickly, he tied one end securely to the bow of Tom's jet boat and made the other end fast to the stern of his. Then, returning to his cockpit, he sent the jet boat hurtling back toward the Polaris. But he was still faced with the problem of getting Tom's jet boat inside the airlock. It was still under acceleration, and there was no way to get inside to stop its jet motors. Astro called to Strong and explained the situation to him. Looks like the only thing we can do, sir, is keep going until it runs out of fuel. That might take too long, Astro, replied Strong. No telling how much oxygen Tom has left. There's nothing else we can do, sir, replied Astro. We can't break her to land inside the Polaris, and we can't open the hatch to turn off the motor. We'll have to take a chance on Tom lasting until it runs out of fuel. Inside the roaring craft, Tom suddenly opened his eyes. He began to cough. There was a roaring in his ears. The stars overhead swam dizzily, 
and then, as though through a billowing mist, he saw the jet boat ahead of him and the rope tied to his ship. He realized he had been rescued. He tried to signal them. He had to let them know he needed oxygen. He tried to reach the communicator near the control panel, but could not lift his arm. He fell back to the deck, gasping for air. His lungs screamed for oxygen. Something, thought Tom, through the haze that fogged his brain. Something to signal them. Then, with the last of his strength, he raised up on one elbow and reached for the acceleration lever. His fingers trembled a few inches away from their goal. His face began to turn violet-red. He strained a little more. The lever was an inch away. Finally, with the last ounce of his strength, he touched the lever and pulled it back by the weight of his falling body. Even before the black cloud swept over him, Tom could hear the jets become silent. He had signaled them. He had stopped the jet boat. They would know now how to save him. End of chapter 15